on behalf of my family and me, I, I'm thankful for mothers. Of course, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for mothers. But I saw something on a sign. It said, a loving mother is a sign of a godly heart. And I know it's natural for mothers to love their children and to take care of things. If you look in the animal world, all kind of stuff happens with dogs and chickens. And we have cows that just lay down in a field and have their babies and horses that tend to them. It's something natural there. But in today's society that we live in, it's unnatural for a mother to have the responsibility to take care of her children in a godly manner. And so what you're doing this morning by being in church, if you're here as a visitor or if you're not, maybe this is your home church. Maybe you don't have a mother that's alive or that can be with you today. But I want to tell you this, if you're a woman that has children, it is a fine thing that you do to take care of your babies, raising them in the house of God, teaching them to love the Lord and to respect and honor God in everything that they do. That's a big thing. Amen? I'm thankful. Yes. Thank you, mothers. I'm thankful for my mother. I, she's at church with my sisters this morning. Uh, but my wife, raising our baby the way she's doing, is doing great. We've got another one coming July the 13th. And I, I'm thankful for good mothers. But I'll pray a blessing upon y'all. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I love you. God, I thank you. God, I praise you for all that you do for us. God, I thank you for each and every mother that's here in this place. God, I thank you for the time that they've spent and the, and the, the, the work that they've put into raising us, God. I thank you, Lord, for, for godly things that they've done, for nights of staying up when we were doing ignorant things and they were praying for us, God. I thank you for all the prayers, and I covet those, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for, for letting us be here on this beautiful day to honor them with, with our time and with our presence, God. But let us not forget, Jesus. Let us not forget the sacrifices that you made, God. Lord, those that may not have a mother, those that may not have someone that, that could have been there for them and done for them, you did it, Jesus, and I thank you for that today. God, I know that you're a father to the fatherless, but, Lord, you're a mother to the motherless. And, Lord, on this Mother's Day, let us give you honor. Let us give you glory, and let us give you praise for all that you've done and all that you're going to do, Father. Be with us when we leave, and be with us for all the lunches and the things that we've got planned for this day. God, and just cover us in your mercy and your grace and your goodness, Father, for you you are greater than all things. In Jesus' name, God, we love you and we thank you and we praise you, God. Amen. Love you. I'd like to take, you, take your Bibles for a few moments and turn to Proverbs, if you would, the 31st chapter and verse number one. We wish you all a wonderful Mother's Day, not only that, a wonderful life for our mothers. Uh, mothers are extraordinary. They're extraordinary people. And uh, said, the word of the Lord came to Lenin, the prophesy. His mother taught him. I tell you, you ought to be thankful for what your mother's taught you. And uh, he says here that his mother taught him. And it means she taught him divine inspiration. Not only our mothers teach us natural things, but one of the greatest things they can teach us is divine inspiration of God and have the wonderful blessings of God in our life. Uh, unexpected act of kindness. A mother always uh, have a, an act of kindness they give to us and the blessings of God. There were two elder women. They was homebound. And there were mothers. One of them was 82 and one of them was 84. But they saw a need of the Scottish revival, how, how the Scottish people need a revival. They set themselves out to pray. And they prayed. Remember this, one's 82 and one's 84, these mothers. And they set themselves to pray until revival broke out. And revival broke out over their prayers. You ought to thank God for praying mothers. I tell you, if you've got a praying mother, you ought to thank God. A mother that prays, amen. Praise God. Peggy never put Gina to bed except when she laid her down, she laid her hands on her and prayed for her. Thank God for praying mothers that praise and teach their children the right and honorable things of God. It's a wonderful thing to have. Verse 10 says, 
Her price is far above rubies. You cannot put a price on a godly mother or a mother that takes care of her children. I think about the, the woman that her son died in the, in the field with the father, and the father brought him home and gave him to his mother. Immediately, she carried him and laid him on the prophet's bed, and she went and found the prophet. And that's what a praying mother will do. They'll not forsake you or leave you in the worst of kind of condition. I remember Samuel Breaker, he came back from Brazil. Peggy and I have just first gotten to church, and we went to Hot Springs, Arkansas, and heard him. He'd just come home on a leave from uh, Brazil for six years. And something he said that was very impressive. He said, I allow no church to claim my soul of praying me into the kingdom of God. He said, my mother prayed me into the kingdom of God. He said, I'd come home as an alcoholic, and I could hear her in the room crying and praying. He said, God saves Samuel. And God tremendously saved Samuel. He spent many, many years in Brazil and had a wonderful ministry. Still got one son over there, still ministering for the Lord. So we praise you, all you mothers, that God has blessed you and what you've done to take care of us. And I just praise God for the mothers of our land today. You know, in World War II, when it broke out, a lot of mothers had to raise a family, and a lot of them went to work to learn how to weld and things because it was a necessity to make a living and survive while the men was in the war. Our mothers did that. So God bless our mothers today as Brother Sam comes. And God bless Brother Sam as he comes and brings the word of the Lord upon you mothers today. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. My mother-in-law and Mimi-in-law are here this morning. I want to honor them for all the love that they give. My mother is not here this morning, but let me tell you, we have such a wonderful gift. As, as human beings, we have such a wonderful gift that is our mothers. Amen. Amen. If you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. And uh, we'll also be in the book of Jonah for just a moment this morning. Exodus 34, we're going to start in verse 6. And I want to talk today about the idea of compassion. Compassion. I will admit to you, I, I'm not the most compassionate person. <laughs> uh, my son, my six-year-old son, he's in T-ball this year, and I'm one of the coaches on his team. And uh, if you've ever been in an organized sport and had a coach, then you probably know most coaches, they, they don't share this characteristic of having much compassion for you. You can break an arm, they'll be like, oh, you know, rub some dirt on it, you know, you'll be fine. Uh, and so anyways, we're, we're, we're playing t-ball, and t-ball is just a whole different world from any other sport uh, you know, they're, they're six, it's five and six-year-olds, and, you know, they, when they put their helmet on to go bat, they look like bobbleheads running around, you know. You know, they can't hardly keep their head up because the helmet's heavy, and uh, it's fun. It's a whole lot of fun. Um, and in t-ball, they allow some coaches to be in the outfield to help with your outfielders because typically, you know, the kids that are in the outfield, they start to get a little bit bored because most t-ballers can't hit the ball that far. Uh, so they allow coaches to be in the outfield to, to help the kids that are out there. And uh, as you, if you've ever had a, a child in t-ball before, then you know they, they pick flowers and, you know, play with butterflies and all that kind of thing. And anyways, I'm in the outfield, and my right fielder, he comes to me. We had just started the game, just started the game. Hadn't been playing for four minutes yet. And he walks over to me, and he says, hey, coach. I need to use the restroom. I said, well, of course you do. Uh, I said, is it an emergency or can you wait until we go back to the dugout? You know, whenever it's our turn to hit, we go back to the dugout. You can get your mom or dad and they can, you know, take you down to the restroom. I, I can't take you right now. Are you able to wait for just a moment? He said, yeah, I think I can wait. I said, okay, that's great. Uh, so we end up playing the, that half of the inning. We go back to the dugout. Uh, poor child doesn't know that I have the memory of a worm, 
and uh, forgot all about his need to use the restroom. And so I don't notify his parents. I don't do anything like that. Uh, We play three innings, and we're in the outfield again, and he comes walking back over to me. Hey, coach. He's got a tear in his eye. I said, what's up, man? He said, my shoes are wet. And I'm not thinking, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about the game. I'm, I'm thinking, your shoes are wet? Why are your shoes wet? He said, coach, my pants are wet. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And so our, our head coach, is, he's on the other side of the outfield. And so I kind of walk over there to the other side of the outfield. And I'm like, hey, uh, our right fielder, has completely what is, I mean, his shoes are what, like, this, this man looks like he's been standing in the ocean. And uh, our main uh, coach, he said, well, is, is he okay to keep playing? I said, yeah, I think so. I think he can keep playing. I'll let his parents know whenever we go back to the dugout. He said, okay. <laughs> so we keep playing. Y'all, I'm, I'm sorry. Y'all can hate me. It's all right. We, after we get done, we go back to the dugout. This time I remember, and I, I see his dad over there, and so I wave his dad over. I'm like, hey, man, uh, your son, he told me a couple of innings ago that he needed to use the restroom. I am so sorry. I completely forgot. And he's wet his pants. And he said, well, does he have to stop playing baseball? And I said, well, no, I mean, he doesn't have to. He can keep playing. I mean, he, he's okay now. At this point, he's, he's ready to play, you know. And I, said, I think you'll be all right. He said, okay, we'll take care of it after the game. I said, okay, great, fantastic. So we go home that night, and I'm telling Emily this story, and she said, Sam, that poor baby. She said, we probably had an extra pair of socks in the, in the Jeep. We could have gone and got it for him, so at least he would have had some dry socks. And she's talking about, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you did that. Uh, you coaches are just so mean. And, and, I, and I'm thinking, well, yeah, probably, probably. But here's what I've, I've come to find out in life. Mothers just instinctually seem to have so much more compassion than anyone else, any other human being (laughs) ever living. They just seem to have so much compassion. And I believe that this compassion, it's it's a gift from God. I truly believe that it is a gift from God. Let's look at Exodus chapter 34, starting, uh, I'm going to start in verse 5. It says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, that's Moses, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, I forgive rebellion, and I forgive sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected. That's they're affected by sin. And even children in the third and fourth generations. This is a, a unique portion in the Bible in that this is the first time in the Bible that God directly explains his characteristics to a person. This is the first time God says to someone, this is who I am. Even whenever Moses, he was going uh, to, to help the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt and into the land of promise, and, and he asked God, you know, God, who do I tell them that you are? And, he, and God said, tell them I am. Tell them I am. That's it. But here he tells them, hey, I am, and he keeps going, the God of compassion, the God of compassion. I think it's interesting. Anytime you see in the Bible, anytime something happens, it's the first time, I think we should take a little bit note of it. This is the first time that God tells someone who he is. He says, I am the God of compassion. This this, uh, word compassion comes from the Hebrew word rachum. Rachum. Go ahead and say it with me. Rahum, there you go. Yeah, you got you to sound like you're, you're you know, gurgling, you're spitting in the back of your throat. You know. Rahum, yeah. It's Rahum, 
And I, I like this word because it is directly related to the word rahim. Say that one with me. Rahim. There you go. Perfect. Y'all, y'all nailed it. Rahum and rahim. Rahum means compassion. I think this is interesting. Rahim means womb. Womb, like a mother's womb. And in fact, whenever God is describing himself to Moses, he says, I am the God of Rahum. And he's giving Moses this idea that I have a compassion like a mother would have for her child. Someone say that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. He is the God of compassion. And then in Isaiah chapter 49, you don't have to turn there. They'll put it up on the screen. But Isaiah 49 chapter 13 through 16, the prophet says this, Sing for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. Why? For the Lord has comforted his people. He will have rahum, compassion on them in their suffering. I think all the mothers in here will probably relate, be able to relate with this next portion. Yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Gotta say this, hey, listen. Rejoice, have joy again, sing, worship, praise, because you've got a good God. Yet Israel's over there. (laughs) All the mothers said, yeah, I hear all that. I hear enough of that. The Lord has forgotten us. Here's verse 15. Here's what God says. Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. Someone say we've got a God of compassion. We've got a God of compassion. And I love that he gave mothers this this gift, this gift to be able to have that compassion. Because can, can anybody in here say, man, I need compassion. I need some compassion in my life for sure. In fact... I want to share with you just a little bit from the book of Jonah for just a moment this morning about this idea. And here's point number one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Everyone needs compassion. Everyone needs compassion. So if you're in the book of Jonah, if you've heard the story of Jonah, it's a very familiar story. I'm sure everyone in here has probably heard it before. It's, you know, Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the big fish. It's right up there with Daniel and the lion's den. David and Goliath, Noah's Ark, you know, it's one of these stories that we've heard of in the church and in the Sunday school and all around us, all of our lives. And we think of the first two chapters of Jonah whenever we think of the story of Jonah. You know, he was in a ship, running away from the Lord. There's a big storm. So he gets thrown overboard and he gets swallowed by a big fish, right? And we we think of this this part of Jonah's story. But I want to look for just a moment at the last two chapters, it's a very short book in the Bible. There's only four chapters. I want to look at the last two, which is uh, chapters three and four. Uh, let's just go ahead and start reading in, in chapter three. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. After Jonah had already disobeyed the Lord, he got on the boat heading for Tarshish. God had told him to go to Nineveh. He gets in a boat heading the opposite direction to Tarshish. And I'll tell you why he did that here in just one second. But after the storm, he got thrown in the water, got swallowed by the fish. The fish spit him up onto the shore. And then God told him the second time, verse 2, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. I love this church. It says the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. And he gives him the same mission. The same objective, go to Nineveh. This is such a beautiful portion of Scripture to me because it tells me that our God is the God of second chances. And I don't know about you, but I've needed more than one second chance in my life. And I love that God is the God of compassion. He's willing to give a second chance because everyone needs compassion, even a rebellious prophet, even a reluctant prophet. 
Verse 3 says, This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. And on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed! Then the people of Nineveh believed God's message. Wow. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast. And they put on burlap to show their sorrow. And when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. And then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city, saying, No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. I can just imagine, you know, they, they took off their regular clothes and wore burlap. And they're like, hey, by the way, make sure that your dogs and your donkeys are wearing burlap too. I don't know what that might have looked like or what they had to do to dress their animals in burlap, but here they go. Uh, it says, people and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Verse 10, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Someone say, we serve the God of compassion. We serve the God of compassion and everyone needs compassion. The reluctant prophet, the reluctant man of God needs compassion and even the people of Nineveh need compassion. Now, I got to tell you this. Nineveh, it's a city several days away from where Jonah lived in the Hebrew world. And it was ruled by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians are the mortal enemies of Israel. Arch enemies. They hate each other. They, they're constantly at war with each other. They don't like each other one little bit. And God tells Jonah an Israelite man, a Hebrew man, go to Nineveh and tell them, I'm going to destroy them. And what does Jonah do? Nope, I'm going to go this way. <laughs> See ya, I'm out of here. I used to think that it was because, you know, they were enemies that Jonah was maybe just afraid to go to the enemy's land and tell them, hey, y'all need to listen. Everybody listen up, listen up. Y'all don't know him, but my God said he's going to kill you. Who would want to go into enemy territory and give a message like that? I always thought Jonah's not going because he doesn't want to get his head chopped off, right? Like he wants to live. Like that, that would be a suicide mission right there. He, he doesn't want to go because of that. But I want to show you something in Jonah chapter 4. It says this. This change of plans, God changed his mind. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God. So slow to get angry. And God, you are just filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now. Lord, I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Wow. Strong words, Jonah. He, maybe he isn't scared. I mean, he, he's brave enough to, to challenge God with it. What does he say here, though? He says, I ran because I knew that you were merciful and compassionate. I knew that you were the God of Rahum. I knew that you wouldn't destroy Nineveh. That's why I ran, because maybe if they didn't hear your word, they wouldn't repent of their sins. Maybe if they didn't have a warning, then they would stay in their sin. And maybe, just maybe then, you would destroy them. So here's Jonah. He gets thrown in the water. He gets swallowed by a fish. And Jonah chapter 2 is, is a prayer. It's a prayer that Jonah prayed. And in his prayer, he thanks God for saving him from death in the ocean. 
He thanks God that he got swallowed by a fish. I used to think that, you know, as a kid, I'm like, man, I I don't want to sin because I don't want to get eaten. Like, I'm pretty sure that everybody that sins gets eaten at some point in their life. Like, I don't want to sin. But Jonah's saying, hey, God, thank you for sending that fish because if it weren't for that fish, I would have died in that ocean. Thank you. He's thanking God for the compassion that God has had on him, for giving him a second chance and at the same time, he's mad at God because God didn't give someone else a second chance. And I want to encourage you, we should be a lot more like our mothers in this room here today because it seems that they've got this idea of compassion down. They're able to look at those who need compassion and show compassion. They're able to look at those that, that others might not would de- think would deserve compassion and they still feel compassion in their hearts for even them. We should be a people of compassion. Psalm chapter 51, David prays in verse 1. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great rahum. Blot out the stain of my sins. This is the man after God's own heart saying, I need compassion. And our problem is we tend to show compassion to those that we can relate in their suffering with, you know? Whenever I broke my back in January, I immediately became more sympathetic of people that had back problems. It was really easy because then I had experienced their pain, at least in a way. I became immediately more compassionate. But whenever we look at our enemies, we tend to withhold compassion from them or hope that compassion doesn't come their way, just like Jonah did right here. But I want to show you this. God isn't tempted to that same kind of mindset, and we should be thankful for that. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7, this is what God says. He says, let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have rahum on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. He's not tempted to withhold compassion from those that we would think don't deserve it, but he is the God of compassion, willing to forgive anyone generously if they would just turn to him. Everyone needs compassion, and we need to be the people, the people of God that are willing to reach out our hand in compassion to those that need it. Here's the second reason compassion is so important. It's because compassion is strong. Compassion is strong. Remember, the Ninevites, they're Assyrians, and they hate Israel. And one man goes to them and says, hey, listen, you, you don't know my God, but he said he's going to kill you. Let me know what you think. And all of the people, I, I, I don't know what the, their train of thought was. It doesn't tell us exactly, but it does tell us that they, they decided, hey, let's take a humble position here. Let's lower ourselves. Let's fast and let's pray because I'm sure it's probably because they had heard about the Israelites and their their storied past where God had come through for them with a mighty strong arm delivering them up out of Egypt and and they had seen the way that God had had brought them into the promised land and and all of the mighty miracles and and things and and, uh, countries and people that were defeated before the Israelites so they could have this promised land. I imagine they're probably a little bit scared of Israel's God. And so whenever some guy comes up and says, hey, uh, I'm a messenger of God, he's going to kill you. Uh, they're like, you know what? I don't want to die. So uh, let's, let's, let's take the humble approach. Let's fast and let's pray. And God showed them compassion. I love this. God tells him, he says, this is a city of 120,000 people. It's a great city. It was probably the largest city in that day and time. And one act of compassion, God sending one man to warn them about their sin and their coming doom, brought an entire city of 120,000 people to their knees in repentance, in fasting, and in prayer. Some will say compassion is strong. Compassion is strong. We've got this misconception in our day and time, though, that compassion is showing weakness. 
If you're compassionate towards someone, you're just showing weakness. You know, you're a weak person if you're a compassionate person. That's what our society says today, especially whenever you show compassion to your enemies. You're showing weakness. But can I tell you this? That idea could not be more incorrect. It could not be more incorrect. Whenever I was in Bible college, I lived in South Dallas in a little area known as Oak Cliff. And Oak Cliff, don't know if you've been there. It's probably not your vacation destination this year. Uh, but Oak Cliff is known to be the poorest, or I should say that there are more people living below the line of poverty in South Dallas per capita than any other place, any other urban area in the United States. It is, cons- is what they consider a food desert. In other words, people there make such low wages that grocery stores won't even come and build in Oak Cliff because they don't think people can come and buy food. Your most basic necessity. They said, we, we, we can't build there because it won't be a profitable business. It's a food desert. That's how poor this area in Dallas is. And whenever I moved there as a young college kid, fresh out of high school, I was told by several people, you're going to see beggars every single day, and they will shake you down for some money. And I'm thinking, man, I already don't have money. I should be asking them for money. I'm a college student, right? I'm trying to pay off debt and survive. I'm trying to eat my, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to eat too. <laughs> like, they said, if you give money to every single beggar, you won't have any money. There's just too many. It's a problem. And someone told me, said this, by the way, if you give to one of these beggars, they're probably just going to use the money to go buy drugs anyway. And so I, in my need for money myself, I took this position like I can't give someone money if they're just going to use it to buy something that they shouldn't or that they don't need, something that will just help feed their addiction. And I made myself feel better by trying to think that way. And I think I had good intentions trying to think that way, right? But let me tell you, there's no compassion in that thought. There's no compassion there. I'm not trying to help this person by not giving them money. Like we, I, th- I think we, a lot of times we think of, you know, compassion as being this sort of weakness. Like if I give to somebody, I'm just going to enable them to continue to, to live in their suffering. But there's no compassion in that type of thinking right there. And so, especially over these last few years, God has really started to teach me and started to move on my heart about these, these ideas that I had in my mind and these principles, you know, that I lived by. And so I began over the last few years, especially to, to ask God, you know, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show me who you want me to give to. They might not even look like they need any money. I don't know, but show me. God, impress on my heart someone to give to today. And uh, on Thursday this week, I went to the gas station. I didn't even go to get gas. I had a third of a tank. I thought, well, I might as well fill up. But the reason I went there was to buy bubble gum. So we had that big tournament yesterday for our t-ball team, and Emily wanted to make these goodie bags for all the kids on our team, and she wanted to put some Gatorade in there and uh, some, some of those little eye black stickers, you know, to make them look real cool, and uh, Cracker Jacks, you know, that's a classic American baseball snack, and something called Big League Chew. It's a bubble gum. If you've ever played baseball, you know what Big League Chew is. It is the king of bubble gum. The problem is we couldn't find it at Walmart. We couldn't order it online to where we get here fast enough for, for the tournament. This was on Thursday. had the tournament on Saturday. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll go to the Easy Mart because they seem to have some, you know, interesting things over there to buy as far as foods and snacks are concerned. So I go to Easy Mart. Sure enough, they have Big League Chew. So I grab the whole thing and bring it up to the counter, and I, I put it on the counter. I'm not even lying to you. The cashier laughs at me. She said, <laughs> I said, hey, listen, I don't have an addiction. I don't have a bubblegum addiction. 
I'm a t-ball coach. We've got a big tournament this Saturday. You know, we got to make sure the team is ready. She says, whatever you got to tell yourself. I said, <laughs> I said, listen, I'm a youth pastor. I have made so many purchases more embarrassing than this one. You go into Walmart, buy 100 pool noodles, a dozen cans of tuna fish, 16 mouse traps, and a bottle of cooking oil, and you take it up to the cash register. I dare you. <laughs> like, lady, this, this doesn't phase me. I'll own it. <laughs> I buy my bubble gum. I go out. I get in the vehicle, and I'm, I'm pulling out of the gas station and, and starting to pull onto the highway. And as I'm pulling onto the highway, I look in my rearview mirror, and there's a minivan parked in the gas station parking lot, and there's a woman standing behind it holding a sign that says, Need Gas. So I, I see it in my rearview mirror as I'm merging onto the highway, and I have this initial thought, my goodness, the nerve of these people. They're over here in a gas station parking lot just holding the sign. Not even a shame. Like, hey, listen, y'all, I'm learning, okay? Please give me some grace here. I'm learning. I'm not trying to brag by anything I'm about to say because, listen, I'm, I'm going to tattletale on myself today. And so I drive for several miles down the highway, and I'm talking to God. I'm like, God, did you want me to, to go and give them some gas? And I felt the Holy Spirit just so clearly speak to me and just say, yeah, I do. So I said, okay. Turning Yui, headed back to the gas station. And y'all got to remember, I spent some time in Oak Cliff. You know, O.C., and, uh, and so I'm used to people asking for something, and then if you give it to them, they ask for something else, right? So they, you know, if they're, hey, I'm hungry, you can get me something to eat. Sure, I'll get you something to eat. We order them something to eat. Oh, also, my mom's very sick. We need $36 for prescriptions. And uh, someone over there gave me $4. All I need is $32 left. And you don't have to give me $32, but if you can give me anything, it'll help. You know, it's that, that kind of spiel that you hear sometimes. And, and so I'm just used for people, like, taking advantage of your generosity. Like, man, I already bought you a meal. Like, you know, come on. You're supposed to be good now, you know. Like, why are you wanting a meal if your mom's dying at home? Like, get the prescriptions first, you know. But anyways, so I'm driving back to the gas station. I'm thinking if they, if I fill up their gas tank and then they ask me for money, you know, I don't want to pull out my wallet. I usually don't carry cash. Just I, I don't think about it. But this particular day, I had $120 in my wallet. And I, I'm thinking, you know, if, I have, if they ask me for money and I go to pull out my wallet, I'll, I'll, like, I'll take the $20 bill out right now on my way there and put it in my pocket. So if they ask me for any money, I can just give them that. That way they don't have to see me open my wallet and have the potential to see that there's more than $20 in it, right? Because I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to go back. I'm going to share the gospel with these people. I want them to know that our God is generous, right? But I don't want them to see the $100 bill. Like, you know, I'll give them the 20 Y'all, I'm telling you, he's still working on my heart. I pull up in the gas station. I pull up behind them. They're still waiting there. So I roll down my window. I say, hey, can I pump your gas for you? She says, yes, yes, thank you. And, and they, they bring the car. I park uh, in a, at a gas stall, and they park at the one right next to me. So I come over there. I start to fill up their gas tank, and I'm thinking, man, this is the perfect opportunity. They can't go anywhere. I can tell them all about Jesus. And so I'm about to tell them, and he says, don't you do it. Holy Spirit, I just feel the Holy Spirit. Don't you do it. Not right now. And I'm like, what? You serious? You don't want me to tell them about you? Like, I figured that's why you wanted me to come back here and you know, help them with the gas. He's like, not right now. So I'm like, okay. And so I start having some small talk with them. And they're telling me that they're headed down to Houston. And uh, they've got, it's a couple, and they've got two, ch two young children with them. And so I, I talked to the kids a little bit. And um, so we get done pumping the gas. And I just felt the Holy Spirit as the gas was pumping. I just felt him say to me so clearly, I mean, he, he doesn't always speak to me just, just this clearly, but I, I heard him say, don't let them ask you for money. You give it before they ask. 
And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right, we can do this. And so, you know, we're pumping, and I'm, I'm trying to keep the conversation going so that they don't ask me for money. And so as soon as the gas is done pumping, I'm like, hey, I don't know if y'all need a meal or if y'all need anything, but I, I, I mean, can I give you some money? And they said, thank you. And so I reach in my wallet, and I pull out the $100 bill. And again, I'm not trying to say that, you know, oh, yeah, hey, y'all, you know, pump up past the sand. You know, like, that's not me at all because my whole time I'm fighting this. I'm like, God, you're so mean. And uh, I pull out the $100 bill, and I give it to him, and I just feel the Holy Spirit say, okay, now. And so I say, before y'all leave real quick, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And I know that he loves you. And I begin to tell them about Jesus. And I pray for them. They, They asked them if I could pray for them. They said yes. And they were taking their little daughter to Houston, to the children's hospital. So I asked if I could pray for the girl. So I prayed for the little girl. And the parents are both just in tears. I said, hey, I just want to let you know that my God is a generous God. This isn't from me. This is from him. And I'm not trying to boast about what I did because the whole time I'm thinking, golly, gas is $4.19 a gallon. I just put gas in my own tank. I mean, I don't even want to buy my own gas, much less someone else's. And so I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not trying to say this because I, I did anything great. I'm, I'm trying to say this because of this right here. Compassion is strong. Compassion is strong. If we would just learn to have compassion for people, we would see walls begin to come down. We would begin to see hearts softened. And these parents, they, they look like they were at their rock bottom. And I get in my Jeep after this encounter, and I'm about to pull out again. And the first thing my mind goes back to is, I wonder if they're professional beggars. Of course they would be taking their child to a children's hospital in Houston. You know, like, y'all, I'm telling you, he's working on me. He's working on me. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say this, it's not your problem whether they use what has been given to them for good things or bad things. Leave any type of conviction to me. You just have compassion. Have compassion and just leave the rest up to me. Listen, church, compassion is not weakness. Compassion is strong. And I've seen many, there are many people in here who have a testimony that their hearts used to be as hard as stone, and then someone came and showed them the compassion of Jesus. And today they're the most humble, most selfless, most generous people because of someone that showed them the compassion of God. He is the God of compassion. Here's the last thing I want to leave you with if our worship team would come on up. Compassion is always right. It's always right right. It's the right thing to do, to have compassion. Jonah delivered this message. The people repented. And Jonah's like, ah, God, I knew you would do this. I knew you would show compassion. And God confronts Jonah in uh, Jonah chapter 4, verse 4, and he says this. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Jonah, is it right for you to be angry that I showed compassion. It says, verse 5, Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city, and he made a shelter to sit under. As he waited to see what would happen to the city, Jonah still thinks, you know, maybe God will destroy it. Maybe. Hopefully. You know, (laughs) we'll see. (laughs) I'm just going to go sit on the edge of the city and see. Like, I don't want to get burned up if it's another Sodom and Gomorrah type thing. And so the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun, and this eased his discomfort. Eased his discomfort. I I didn't, I failed to even, y'all, I apologize to you. I failed to even tell you what compassion is. In the Bible, compassion is being able to relate with someone on an emotional level and go beyond that to work to make sure that their suffering is eased. That's the idea of compassion. It's, it's sympathy that's taken another step. Like I can sympathize 
with someone that has broken a vertebrae in their back now, right? I can have sympathy with you. I can relate to you on an emotional level what you might be going through. But compassion takes it a step further and says, hey, since you're hurting, I'll bring you dinner this week. Since you're hurting, I'll mow your yard so you don't have to. Like, that's compassion. It's sympathizing, but taking it a step further and say, hey, I want to help relieve you of your suffering. And it says that God caused this plant to come up and shade Jonah from the sun, and it eased his discomfort because our God is a compassionate God. And it says Jonah was very grateful for the plant, but verse 7 says, but God arranged for a worm. And the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Listen to what he says. Death is certainly better than living like this. All the mothers said, yeah, I've heard that one too. And then God said to Jonah, is it right? Someone say, is it right? Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? He asked him in in verse 4, is it right for you to be angry that I showed compassion? Now he asked him, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? And Jonah says, yes, even angry enough to die. Wow. Jonah talks a lot about death. Pretty sure he needed the Lord. Verse 10, then the Lord said, Jonah, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Or isn't it right that I feel sorry and have compassion on 120,000 people that are living in spiritual darkness? Someone say compassion is always right. It's right for the reluctant prophet. It's right for the man after God's own eyes. It's right for your enemies. It's right for those that might abuse your kindness. Compassion is always right. Compassion is always right. Ephesians chapter 432. This is our last portion of scripture. It says, instead, be kind to each other. Be tenderhearted. And this word tenderhearted is is a Greek word. Eusplanknos. Try to say that one. It means well-compassioned. So don't don't just be compassionate. Be well-compassioned, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, listen, you need to have the kind of compassion that God has had for you. So I want to encourage you today. Look in the Word of God, because we can learn a lot about compassion by reading the Word of God. But also look to your moms, because you can learn a lot by seeing that heart of compassion that God has given them. I truly believe, I believe with all my heart, that this is a gift that God gave to humanity. Compassion in the hearts of a mother is a gift that God gave to humanity, because I want you to notice this mothers all over the world different languages, different nations, different ethnicities, on different corners of the globe geographically, and they all seem to share this heart of compassion. And I think it would do us a lot of good to adopt that same spirit inside of us. So if you go to Coach T-Ball one year, and a child comes to you and says, hey, I need to use a restroom, just call a timeout, (laughs) send that poor child to his parents, have compassion. Have compassion. I, I don't believe it's any coincidence that Rahum and Rechem, compassion and womb, are related ideas. Because God has given us the greatest. And listen, God even said this. He said, hey, if you need to know what compassion looks like, look at a mother who's nursing her child. 
a mother that cares for her Yeah, If you could, just real quick, just give your mom a hand. Come on. We need compassion. Compassion is strong, and compassion is always the right thing to do. If you would stand to your feet this morning. I, I don't want to pass this opportunity up. I know we're here to, to celebrate with our mothers. But listen, I don't want you to pass this opportunity up either to have a moment with Jesus. Because this idea of compassion comes from the God of compassion. And maybe you've been in a place in your life where you feel, man, Pastor, I need compassion. Like, I, I, have, I have been some places. I need compassion. Or maybe you've been that person that's withheld compassion, and, and you, you just need that moment with God to say, God, I, I, please forgive me. I'm so sorry that I haven't carried your heart as a believer. I'm so sorry I haven't carried your heart to others in the way that I should have. Maybe you need to come to that place of repentance. I don't know what area of your life you may be in right now, but we're going to sing just a couple of songs, and I want to give you that opportunity. If you need to meet the God of compassion, he's here to meet with you today. And I promise you, if you've got to believe in mother, there would be no greater gift than just to come to the altar and just say, God, I need you. I need your compassion. I need your love. I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. I need your tenderheartedness. Lord, I pray right now that you would just move on the hearts of your people in this place, God that you would draw them closer to you, the God of compassion, that every person in this room here today would know that they can come to God and they can say, God, I'm sorry, and you'll say, welcome back, welcome home. I love you. You're accepted here. You're wanted here. Just as a mother cares for her child, I care for you. Lord, I pray that you would draw every person to you this morning, God. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.